Hi, I'm Steph Pham, host of Popner Lounge. When I founded this show, I created Popner Lounge as a safe space for creatives to share their journey. We were founded on the principle of empathy, and we believe that now more than ever. Popner Lounge stands in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. We stand with our Black brothers and sisters who have been guests on the show, who are our listeners, and to every person fighting for the rights that Black lives definitely deserve. We encourage our listeners to be mindful allies. We encourage them to educate themselves on the Black Lives Matter movement, and we also want to encourage you to sign petitions, to check in on your Black friends, to highlight Black creators, and to do what you can to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Power in unity. Hey, this is David Del Rio. Coming up is my interview on Pop Nerd Lounge. Hello, dear nerd. Welcome to Pop Nerd Lounge, the podcast for the creative soul. I'm your host, Steph Pham. Thank you for joining us. If you're tuning in for the first time, we hope you are inspired by this upcoming conversation that we have. And if you're returning, we also thank you for coming back and wanting to listen to these stories. You may recognize today's guest from the Disney Channel original movie, Geek Charming, Pitch Perfect, Grease Live, and his latest venture, The Baker and the Beauty. We talked about his education in the arts, what his experience was like filming The Baker and the Beauty, and he answers some questions from our Popner Lounge hotline. This is David Del Rio. Welcome to Popner Lounge. My guest today is David Del Rio. David, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited. You studied at the New World School of Arts in Miami and the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. How did having an arts education strengthen your craft? Ooh, um, I think, you know, New World and uh, the New York Conservatory were really concentrating on not only surrounding the craft and the sort of way of kind of living truthfully under imaginary circumstances, but it also taught me of how to sort of navigate, if you are lucky enough to start a career, how to keep it and navigate it, and how to kind of have this sort of feeling that being an actor and a director and a writer producer, it's not a vacation. It's, it really is a job. So it really, really instilled that in me. And, you know, and then on top of that, I got to discover what process works for me and how I got to sort of expand on that process from job to job. So, you know, it was really something, you know, in high school, um, they were very militant with how you study your craft in terms of studying lines and doing your scenes and all that stuff. And then in the New York Conservatory, they kind of basically just taught us of what's expected of of us in the industry. However, you really don't get a real sense of it until you kind of start working on where the state of the industry is currently. But it taught me a lot. And listen, I got my first mentor there and I still have a, a mentor from New York now. So, so really a big, big influence on, on how I approach my work. 
I love that that you said that it helped you learn how to not only get a job, but sustain it and to keep mm-hmm. it and navigate mm-hmm. it. Because I feel like that as creatives, that's a lesson that we miss the mark on. You know, we learn our skills. If you're a videographer, you learn how to film things, but you don't necessarily learn how to network with people and to go from job to job to job, like to keep it, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think that's so important. Well, that's really, that's really introspective actually coming from you. So like, what do you do? Like, are you, are you into the film and all that stuff? Actually, so I studied broadcasting and electronic media. My goal was to be a journalist and, and to host. Oh, and even it. though this is kind of, even though this is kind of a side hustle, I, I mainly went into this to become a journalist. Yeah. Wow. Well, the journalists, journalists are, it would be, if I, if I were to be asked like what other job would I have liked to have achieved? It's two and a, a detective and a journalist. And it's all similar. I ha- I love the feeling of, we were just watching, uh, what were we just watching? Ooh, I completely forgot, but it was one of those things that's like one lead, it takes you to another in its investigation to get the story. And there's something thrilling about that. I kind of take it. I kind of take it into my characters as well when I do my process. It's an investigation of who this person is. But I've always loved that. And plus, in a detective, any job that I get to wear a suit, that would be amazing, you know. So that was a whole other thing for me. But yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I really respect journalists. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I like what you said because, like, you know, for for me too. Like, I mean, that's why nerd is. A- Part of the title of the show is because I like breaking down things and learning how people mm-hmm. process um, their craft and creatives. Yeah, like we want to know how things tick. I think that's something about us that we want to know. We're curious people. Why did you choose to lean more towards film and television versus theater? Well, you know, I got to tell you, I always had been interested in film ever since I was a kid. Jerry Lewis, Jim Carrey were heavy influence on me in terms of like sort of physical comedy and you know I also kind of started making films when I was about 13 with an old camera the type of camera that you put the VHS in and kind of close it and then we did this thing called camera editing that when we do a take and we mess up and we don't like it we just rewind that actual VHS tape to to record over it you know we didn't we didn't have final cut or you know even iMovie back then you know Um, and I'm saying back then like I'm an old timer but we did do films in 2000 and one in 2000 where it was not even close to you know having an apple around but or maybe it was i don't know i can't even remember but i I, but so so that idea of of directing myself and directing my cousins to play mafia people or people in the mafia hooked on uh, uh putting sort of stories together for the lens but my acting training had come through theater. I knew I kind of just wanted to step into film and television. And, you know, New York Conservatory was originally called, when I first got there, the School for Film and Television. That's what it was called. And I said, well, that's something that I really want to do. And the idea of kind of transferring my big theater acting into really minimalistic type of acting to film was something that I was very, really, really interested in. And, uh, you know, I don't think it was a conscious choice of, I don't want to be a theater actor and I want to be a film and television actor. I just wanted to act basically. And and any kind of thing that was going to take me there uh, to be a professional 
working, doing it for a living actor, um, I would I would be totally you know cool with. You know, before I got cast in my first show. I was in this off, 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 off Broadway musical. Uh, and so, and so, but I was getting paid and, and it wasn't, I wasn't getting paid much, but that was, you know, that was my first job that I was actually grabbing, you know, funds for the job of showing up on time and doing my job and going home. And that, and that was something I was like, all right, I'm hooked. I'm really, really hooked. But how would you demystify the assumptions of non-creatives that our path is fairly easy and that overnight success is a thing? Because it totally isn't, even no, though it no, might no. appear to be, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, how would you demystify that to people who kind of have that conception? You know, I think that it, it's, it's, you're already kind of messing up with that because part of the industry that we are in, it's a rule to be rejected. So with people with that sort of presumption, think that they'll never be rejected. And when they are, they'll, they'll kill themselves because they'll, and they'll, they'll literally feel so much pain uh, and anguish because it's like, well, how did this person do this? And I want to get to this person. And, and, you know, just like the movies, the stories of how one gets to where they are, are beyond anyone's imagination. And so I think that, what I would tell people to demystify it is, well, let me tell you what it, what the job qualifications of being an actor is. Number one, you have to show up on time. Number two, you always got to be prepared, whatever your definition of being prepared is. And number three, get ready to be rejected or, and you will be rejected. So, so the, you know, I think what makes actors survive is having that notion and knowing that as well uh and if and if you if you put rejection part of your job description as an actor i think you're going to be pretty um you're going to have a good head on your shoulders and and have the rejection inspire you to getting the next job and listen nothing's overnight you'll always hear someone it's never been overnight so you know it's always it's just the right job with the right person with you feeling the right way and uh, it's an opportunity. You always got to continue to have the opportunity to show people your version of what you, this character might be. That's really the best you can do. And then we'll see what happens. Um, but it really is, it really is not only luck, but right time, right place, right role, right person. I believe that fully. Yeah. So many people, there's actors who, who don't even get their first big break until like late in their thirties or forties or even later than that. And I, I hate that societal perception that like there's a mm -hmm. the deadline, like there's a timeline that people have that, Oh, you know, you're this age or whatever, it's too mm -hmm. late for you or the, or you missed the mark somehow. And I'm like, that's not true. This industry is full of rejections but if you keep trying like you said it's all about being in the right place in the right time and the right role will come to you if you keep on trying i think i i truly am a believer that persistence never has a deadline because even after even after you you know what's a break what is a big break do you know what i mean like there's there is a slew of categories that actors are in it is the 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 actor that gets a big break in their guest starring role. And that can be defined as a big break. Your big break can be an off-Broadway show. Your big break can be a major audition 
with a uh, director, with a very well-known director, but even though you don't book it, you could define your big break as a sort of confirmation that you're doing the right thing and you, and you made the right decision. Or there's another category. There's a slew of actors. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll say just with me for, for my personal thing too. I could be in a major movie tomorrow and that major movie will flop and you'll never hear of me again. Right. There's also that kind of thing. Uh, there, there is no big break. There is maintaining and persisting after the break happens and persisting before the break happens. So whatever you define as your break, there's still a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. You know, think about, you know, I, I, I sometimes think about, you know, I, 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 I'm not. I'm not totally empathetic towards like the real A-list, like any Avenger is, if they have a, a flop in a movie, they'll be fine. They'll be, you know, like they, I, I, I'm not worried about them. But still there is a little bit of a challenge that when you hit it big, you got to maintain good projects, sellable projects. And if it doesn't work commercially, you know, you, as, as, a, as, a person who takes over hold of your own career, you have to look at that and saying, how can I be better? Or how can I pick better projects? Um, because you actually could not, you know, you actually, it actually could fade, you know what I mean? And that's why I've always believed, you know, I know I don't take it as breaks. I just take it as um, jobs, basically. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a worker for hire, basically. Uh, and all I really want is to make a living. And just and 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 this is something that I feel like I'm okay at. So I'm just going to continue trying to do that uh, uh, and trying to basically support my family as well. Yeah, that's like the thing that we got to keep in mind is that it could all go away in an instant. And the thing is, just that yeah. like we're just lucky enough if we get to do the next thing, like the next project or whatever, whatever it is. Like for me, it's like the next conversation I get to have. Like I, I feel fortunate every single right every single time I book an interview. I'm like, you know, I get I this could all stop. Like I could stop booking guests. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very gratitude thing that like we get to keep doing what we love. Cause like that's at the end of the day, that's a, the, the goal is to do what you love and to keep doing it. Yeah. Right. Right. Love that word. Gratitude. One of my faves. Uh, you spent a lot of time, I'm assuming with like demo reels. I think you know that familiarly. Mm -hmm. So what's your one do and don't for actors for their reel? Oh my gosh, what a great question. I appreciate the, that. And someone's been doing their research. I would say, oh, that's a good question. I would say the, the do is to work on your demo reel, not as a producer, not as a person you got to take a look at your demo reel as, you know, on set on your demo reel and the development of your demo reel. If you trust the people doing your demo reel and I make sure that the people trust me first in order to do their demo reels, you've got to act as if you are an actor who auditioned and got cast in the role. So therefore you got to put yourself in that mindset. You got to say, all right, I'm paying you for the service to make it look like I've been working <laughs> or I have that I have demo reels. So therefore, I'm going to leave it to your hands and make sure that my job is to show up and be prepared and get and take direction, right? You know, the demo reel is not only to, to show your talent, you're still on set. I've worked with a lot of actors. I've directed 
and produced, I would say, about 40 demo reels right now. And I've had a slew of actors. I've had, I have a, I have a type of actor who thinks that they're Meryl Streep, God bless them. And I've had, their, I've had the actors who at first says, okay, I know what I want to do. I want to go out just for guest roles because I know I'm not going to go get the Hunger Games. And so I said, okay, let, what, kind of, what kind of thing uh, 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 do you want to a guest star on? Do you want to be a kid in the, in the hospital bed uh, in, in Good Doctor or something like that? Yeah, great. We'll write you that role. But therefore, I'm going to write a scene where it is completely known that the doctor's the lead and you're not. And they're like, great. You know what I mean? So if you trust the people that are doing your demo reel, the do, I would, admit, I would say, is be the actor. Don't let any demo reel person disrespect you, but hold your own in saying, I have an opportunity to show up on set as a working actor. Therefore, I'm going to try to do as many takes and discover myself more as the actor. And I think that the don't, basically, is not... You know, I, I always want to look at my clients who come to me to, I shouldn't say clients, but the actors who come to me to want to do their demo reel, not be so on top of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But again, but again, you see, I'm a filmmaker. You know what I mean? I'm also a filmmaker. So I know what I'm doing and I, and I, tr and I hope that they trust me to do it. And I do my best to make sure that and what I always tell them is, my job is to make you look good. And that's with lighting, with camera, with writing, and making sure that in the editing, I make you shine. I know how to do that without making it look like a demo reel. That's my job as a filmmaker. But when actors try to be filmmakers themselves, that's when things get a little tricky because as the person giving the service, I can't always say, okay, you need to relax or you need to, you know, you need to let me do my job. No, they're my, they're, they're, they are coming at me to give them a service. Therefore I must honor them. But that doesn't mean you kind of, you should take that honor and take advantage of that. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I would say, try not to be a producer for your own demo reel. And if you want to be, wor uh, you know, working as an actor, show up to set as an actor. And, and let everybody else do their job. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that in anybody else's set, you know? And, 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 the more, and if you want to be a producer, fantastic. Uh, uh, um, you know, and, and again, there's people who kind of take their, their job seriously as someone who pays us to do it. And they should. They absolutely should. But now is not the time to be a drama queen or, you know, a cocky actor or anything like that. You just got to be able to, uh, you got to be able to trust. Absolutely. Um, the reel is something in your hands. They're like, it takes about 30 seconds for them to realize whether they want to book you. Or it's your business it's card. Like it's your business card. It is mm -hmm. your, right. It's your business card and your elevator pitch, like all in one. And so, well yeah, like that, that was some wonderful advice to like, uh, to, for fellow actors out there. Cause I, I think that is something that people who, who go into acting or whatever, maybe they, they're used to like being sometimes like the producer or the writer from like their training when their school, when they had to do everything. And so like, they kind of have that instinct of like, I, I want to like, you know, I want to give some notes or whatever, but then like you said, you have to show up to the set as an actor. Like that's what you're there for. I think there's a wrong way and there is a right way to collaborate. You know, I think that if you approach 
your 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 notes with a question to open it up to communication i think that's when collaboration shines that's that's what gets me riled as a director oh yes let's keep talking about it i love it let's keep going let's get deeper let's get deeper let's get deeper and then there are other persons who came in with, come in with the answer and if i was a you know if i was a director uh, you know if you were in one of my films that's a that's a no-go for me, you know what I mean? But for a demo reel, it's your demo reel. You know what I mean? You know your product better than I do. I'm just here to make it look good and make sure you book with that, you know? Um, and, how I, and how I help make them book it is my job is to make it look like I ripped that clip from the television as opposed to presenting Stefan's demo reel you know what i mean like you there's 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 a balance of that there's a lot of uh, and, and by the way what i do is not a business it's a it's a hobby that my wife and i love to do to help actors but as well as but it's a service you know but as but as well as the idea of it gives us it gives me an opportunity to direct to direct to get my directing muscles i've directed two features and i still want to direct demo reels because i always want to go back and i want to try to you know, just flex my muscle uh, uh, a little bit. So if you were in my, on my set, as a prof in, in a professional set that, you know, you kind of come in with this arrogance, um, you know, how you come off is really important on my set. You know what I mean? But I'm in the demo reel, I'm not in the business to teach. I'm not in the business to sort of tell you how to act. I'm in the business of kind of like just really basically helping you out but there is a right way and a wrong way to collaborate and i would hope that our demo reel company allows an actor to kind of see how they are not by talent but see how they are as an employee and and and, and a co-worker if you will because that's what we are we're co-workers you know you can never get you know i i live in a i i, I i'm part of an industry that is very giving to an actor. People knock on your door, they escort you from your trailer to the set, they're the ones who are asking you if you want a water, they're the ones at, and that is something to not let it get to your own head. And I take that very, very, very seriously because it's a job. Part of their job qualifications is to treat you with respect and make sure that you have everything you need. That doesn't mean they respect you, that means it's their job. You know what I mean? So, so that's something that you really got to keep in mind. Tell me about a day in your career that you'll never forget. Hmm. I think there was a time that I was shooting in Vancouver on the, on the show that I did called The Troop that it was my first, it was the first time that I had this sort of lead role and my mom flew into Vancouver and, um, you know, once I saw her after taking a break, you know, from or when we said cut or whatever, I saw her in the thing and I just ran to her and we just hugged each other and cried. Um, only because it was just, it was just, I was just telling my mom, can you fucking believe this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, can you freaking believe this? You know, and then uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to curse or whatever, but like, I was just like, I was like, can you fucking believe this? And, and, and that's what I was saying in my mind, but I think that's why she was, and she was just crying out of pride. But, you know, I, I give all my success to 
and I'm a, I'm a man of faith. So not only do I give my success to God, I give my success to my family and my parents, basically, that, you know, my success is because of them. And I, I, I'll always remember this. So anyway, running to her, her running to me, embarrassingly crying in front of the crew and cast as I hugged her, that is a, a moment that I will always cherish in my first job. I love that. And it kind of feels, I don't know, for me, it feels very Baker and the Beauty-ish. Like hearing that, I could see something like that in the Garcia family like setting. And so I love hearing that memory. I would say, I would say also, I would say also like on that note, another really great moment in Baker and the Beauty that didn't make it to the finale was um, a time that Valisa was dancing and she finished her dance. And when she finished her dance, the the group and the family all came together and hugged. Now that made it to the finale, but what didn't make it to the finale was the idea that the camera still rolled and we all started to dance and we made a circle and everyone and, and the, and the cast went into the middle, started dancing with Belisa, each and every person. And it happened so organically and it was just like a camera wasn't there. And it, we were shooting the final episode and it was just like a reflection of all we've been through up to that, that moment. And that's another moment uh, uh, that I've been on set that I'll always cherish. Speaking of Baker and the Beauty, which by the way, I love the show. I, I'm a huge, Thank massive you. fan and um, Thanks. hoping that you guys get renewed for season two. Keeping my fingers Appreciate crossed. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. You originally read for Daniel, Victor's role, and later ended up getting the role right. of Matteo. So having now played mm -hmm. him for a full season, do you feel like you were more suited for the role of Matteo? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we are we are one person. Uh, um, and I think that um, I think that Victor is absolutely incredible in the role of Daniel as as the as sort of the the leader of the Garcia sibling clan and thus still finding stuff out about himself that he brings such vulnerability into his exploration and his character and and that is something that maybe I had the opportunity to tap into a little bit with my love story with Vanessa uh played by Michelle Ventimiglia and you know I I I think that Matteo is the middle child. I'm a middle child, and he always wants uh, to make people smile and laugh. Um, and he uses that as something to be entertained and as a defense mechanism. And that is totally who I am. So, so uh, yeah, we're uh, you know I'm very very blessed that I got to play a character like Matteo. And plus, he's Cuban. I'm Cuban. Uh, he's a family kid. I'm a family kid. So it, it was a, a lot of similarities there. Let me just say middle kid relatability right here. I'm also- Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I'm a middle kid too. So I see a lot of myself in Matteo, actually. Mm. I loved in an interview that you called Matteo an enthusiastic failure. Do you relate to that trait of the character within your actor <laughs> oh, God, journey? yes. <laughs> yes, every day, every day. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that- um, I think I think he is an enthusiastic failure, and I, I also think that the that the word failure comes from the idea of his own perception. You know, I think that a lot. I've been hearing from fans uh, and and viewers of the show like, "Don't give up, please, don't listen to him. You are not a failure." And that basically that's that was what we were trying to do with Mateo. That he represented the group of people that when he gets knocked down and rejected once, that hurts so much that he just doesn't want to do it anymore. 
And, and, and I think that there's a lot of truth there. I want to quit once every four months. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think that I, and I keep asking, why am I doing this? And also there are amazing actors that I know um, and that I'm close with that have that same feeling. And I get confused. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And, but then there are moments by myself where I go, you know, I, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing this and stuff like that. So I definitely relate to that. But enthusiasm is something that I've always had in me. And uh, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, I definitely relate to that. I, I do as well. Uh, what what you're saying, like having that feeling like I want to quit every four months. I, I feel that, especially with my <laughs> show too sometimes. Um, definitely mm -hmm. in the early stages when like we didn't have like a big listenership. We still don't have kind of a massive listenership, but whenever we were first starting. But you have loyals. But you have loyals. That, you have OGs. Exactly. That's important. That is, mm -hmm. yeah, that's very important. Like when we were in, in the beginning stages, I remember looking at like one metric and I won't even say the number because it was absolutely crushing and disappointing. And I was looking like at one statistic and I was like, oh my God, that's like all the people who listened to that one episode. But, and I almost gave up at that moment. Like that number just crushed me. And I was like, oh my God, like, is that, is that it? Am I, am I done? Is nobody going to listen to whatever I'm putting out? But if I had given up, I wouldn't have like pushed for more interviews. I wouldn't have pushed for, you know, uh, more opportunities. Listen, what, what got me, what got me interested in, talking with you was the um you were so eloquent in your reaching out to me and the dm and by the way such uh, such bravery and leaving a voice note i mean it was just like i was like oh, i gotta listen and, and and then i'm like i feel like this dm i'm listening to a podcaster already you know what i mean i already feel that so so yeah i mean i i think that's uh I think that's really great that you continue to do this. How long have you been doing it? How long is, what is it? Nerd 10? Is that what it's called? Oh, um, it's a uh, partner lash, but we've only been doing this for like a year. Oh, oh yes. And thank you for saying that so much. Oh yeah. my God. Like I, I, I'm so touched that you say that we try to appeal to people and we just want to, make sure that people understand that dreams are valid that's like our mission statement is that dreams are valid right and because uh, i think like just watching you on the show i was drawn to your character and i and like even you in the interviews i i've watched several interviews with the baker and the beauty cast and i was like i feel like he has a story to tell and so i definitely wanted mm. to bring you on and to, to talk about not only the show but to, like your journey so that way people understand that yes it's hard but it is possible uh, I'm really, really glad to be here. And I, and I also think that, you know, like we were just saying about persistence, I think dreams don't have a deadline either. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Back to the show. There's uh, During a lot of the press interviews, I love how you and the cast have said that it's a family story where the family just so happens to be Cuban. And we at the audience, mm -hmm. we see that. And it's not like the show is trying to tell a token ethnic story. Like it, you guys really feel like a family and you treat the culture and the, just the, the family aspect of being Cuban and Latin, like with so much respect. So how important was that to you when you signed on to the project? Well, you know, it, it, listen, you said sign on to the project. I auditioned and I booked the role. I mean, I'm not in the position to <laughs> like, David, please read this script and sign on to it. You know, I was, I was, I wanted the job as much as they, you know, as they were trying to look for the right Mateo. But, um, but once I read the script, I was very touched by the idea that it was, un it was unknown territory at this point in terms of uh, portraying a Cuban family in a romantic comedy that would be fitting with uh, 
for a lack of a better term, the, the white culture, you know what I mean, uh, that we've seen over and over and over again. Um, but this show is not a love story, not only a love story, it's a family story. And, you know, as a Cuban um, and Colombian, family is everything. And and I really, really did appreciate that feeling of it. And I remember talking about it once we once we were all on like a table read in the pilot and we were just talking about it. And and I I remember saying, you know, as important the good things are that happen in this story, the fights are just as important. The and and I, I hope that we figure out a way to show that we are a family enough that in the drop of a dime, we will get in a fight and then we'll forgive each other in two minutes. You know what I mean? Cause that's what, fa- cause that's what family is all about. So, you know, I think that that was something that was really important to us. And I'm really grateful to Dean and Becky who, um, you know, and David Frankel who kind of really got all of us together and really set the tone for our show of you know making it really a family show talking about family issues and if we get picked up for a second season i really am looking forward to discovering more of what this family is going to go through together something that else is unheard of i i feel like in, in network tvs i heard that like the writers room was full of latin writers which i love i because i for me i firmly believe our stories like poc stories get told from the mm-hmm. writers room like we have to have ourselves in the writer's room to get our stories told so i love that and i love that like the crew was 99 percent latin and i love that the cast is an all latin cast so uh for a major network that is so unheard of and with the success of the show do you think it'll inspire more um poc stories more latin stories to be told if, if this you know with the success of the show absolutely i think that diversity is something that um the studios and networks are completely opening up to you know i think that a lot i think we've still got a lot of work to do um but i think that they're really opening up and 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 making sure that authenticity within the writing is just as important in than making the um writing to be popcorn loving you know like drama and all that stuff and uh you know i i I really do hope i really do hope that it inspires people to kind of continue to put their perspective on the page um and uh, through characters and I think that I think that we're headed there. I think we re- we really are. You know, we will, we can go all the way back to Blackish, Fresh Off the Boat, Master of None. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Rami on Hulu right now. You know, I mean, these are things that the reason why they touch people is because, like our show, we introduce culture within the storylines that everybody's sort of familiar with we've seen these things before but not in the way of the point of view of one's upbringing and i think that's really important and i think we're on our and i think we're, i think you know networks are really doing a great job and uh, there's always work to do and there's always more that can happen so i i think they should really continue to do that 100 i agree and I, I i'm glad that you mentioned all those shows because yeah those shows kind of paved the way for other shows that have representation on it and 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 i hope that we have more we see that heading that way but we definitely meet 
have a lot of work to do, like you said, and more stories. Sure. Yeah, more stories need to be told. So yeah, that makes me, that makes me happy to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you touched on it a little bit, but talk to me about the shooting the season finale. Cause it looks like so much fun. I love the quinceanera, the dramatics, the plot twist. Yep. So what was it like shooting mm-hmm. that episode? Oh man, you just couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe that everything was wrapping up, you know, and we all had a thought of just like, how is this going to work, you know? And, uh, um, of course, my character really tests the boundaries of bros before hoes. So they really crossed the line there. And, and, and that was something that was interesting because I was nervous, right? And, and, uh, and I was just like, what's this going to look like for the character? I cared about perception on that in that particular moment. And then I kind of let it go because I'm like, if I'm afraid and nervous for the idea of playing a character who's had this newfound love for his brother's ex and crosses the line with it, we should do it, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, we were just collectively, it was bittersweet, but we were ready. We were ready to get that show out. We were ready to get the story out and we didn't shoot it as a two hour finale. We were told like, weeks before episode two or episode three aired that it was going to be a two hour finale. So it wasn't like we knew that that was going to happen, but the way that they, they merged it together was really brilliant on their part. And uh, yeah, I think we were just ready. I think we were just ready. And by the way, excuse me, we were in Puerto Rico for six months. So, you know, we were kind of ready to go home too, see our families and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, um, but we were, um, we were really grateful for the experience and, you know, what a way to end, what a way to end for Mateo and Daniel to get in a fight and, uh, uh, Madi and Raphael played by, uh, Carlos Gomez and Lisa Vidal, that beautiful scene when they're in the kitchen and they were dancing Gloria Stefan, um, uh, Lewis and Noah's, uh, relationship, Natalie Kelly and Dan Bukatinsky's relationship really blossomed. And, you know, a lot of things were settled, but already open for more if we get picked up for a second season. So right now, uh, I'm going to play you a few questions from we have from our fans because we have this thing called the Popner Lounge Hotline. Cool. And so we have okay. a couple of fan questions. The first fan question we have is from mm-hmm. Chris. So I'm going to go ahead and play you Chris's question. Oh, cool. Hey, Popner Lounge. This is Chris from Dallas. And uh, my question for David is, do you think Mateo regretted anything from season one? Um. Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that I think he is. I think that he knows he dug himself a really big hole with with having a relationship with Vanessa. And even though Daniel, I feel that even Daniel, even when Daniel forgave him, there's still a lot of work to do with trust in the family. Um, and so I think that I think. I think, and by the way, he definitely regrets it now that he saw Vanessa with, you know, the music producer in the apartment and all that stuff. He must be thinking, this was all this worth it, you know, which I don't blame him. And our next question is from Josie. Josie is actually a friend of mine and she's the host of Film Posters podcast. So we want to thank Josie for her question. 
Hola, David. My name is Josie Melendez. Before I get into my question, I'm sure you all have gotten this quite a lot, but it's the truth. Thank you. Thank you for telling this story with such respect, honesty, and heart. Now, Mateo had my most beloved story arc of the entire season. Not even joking. <laughs> what was your favorite part of him as a person, and where would you like to see his story go? Thank you. No, oh, Josie, thank you. Um, really, really nice to hear. Um, um, and I really, really uh, uh, appreciate how you appreciate the honesty of the show. It being a corny, nice little rom-com, I, I, I really do appreciate the uh, the idea that um, there's honesty there because that is what we really try to do within that that sort of umbrella, if you will. Um, I guess my favorite part about Mateo is that the thing that always... I really wanted to make sure of was Mateo was a man of his family. So I really loved doing the scenes with Belisa, who plays Natalie. And, and because it really got to show a side of Mateo will always be supportive and is selfless. I do like the selflessness a little bit. And the whole idea with Vanessa and his relationship with Vanessa is his, was his only sort of mess up of being selfless. He was really selfish in, in, in that particular uh, instance. And then, so that's what I really like about it. And then I think what I really would really like to see Mateo, I would see like, I would really like to see Mateo kind of like sort of figure out how he's also going to be telling the family. Uh, if, and, and, you know, if he does tell the family, um, his pursuing of getting Vanessa back um, and seeing where his career goes. Um, but I, I, am, I am curious of what the uh, pursuing would look like if this is going to be a, uh, a storyline of I will get Vanessa back. That would be pretty interesting. But I have no idea. But that would be pretty interesting to me. And I like that she mentioned your story arc because we saw growth, like character growth, which is kind of, I don't know, for some reason, like, I, I kind of feel like that's rare in in most, like, pilot seasons these days because you don't really get to know, like, characters a whole lot within their first season. But we saw growth from you because, like, you know, you were kind of like these, like, this goofable brother or whatever. And then, like, we see your ambition. We see you get serious about music and, like, you, you want to go for it and be committed to it and be serious about it. So, yeah, like, there was definite, like, growth and evolution in your character, even in the first season. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I get as shocked getting every new script of that episode as everybody else was. So, really appreciate that. If you were given an unlimited budget to fund any dream project, what would you like to do? I mean, are you offering? I mean, like, what, are you going to present me with a big check? That would be amazing. I wish. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of true stories, you know? I'd like, to, I'd like to do a story of my grandparents in Cuba. That would be amazing. I'd like to shoot it in Cuba. That would be amazing. Um... Yeah, there's a lot of things I'd like to I'd like to show. I mean, you know, I'm also an idea guy, so like, there's a lot of ideas I have in my journal that if I had all the money in the world, I'd be like, okay, um, let me split it up very smartly and and see if I can do every single one of them, you know. But um, but I think I would love to do a I would love to do a a story about my grandparents in Cuba before um the regime took over, and 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 actually shoot it in Cuba. That would actually be a a dream of mine. My final question for you is, 
what would your advice be to fellow creators out there? I think that um, we live in a time right now where distribution is just so available to us through YouTube, through Vimeo, um, and then our uh, we have equipment right in our pocket, which is absolutely crazy. And I think that we must take advantage that everything our devices have to offer and the websites out there that get to show your work um, to kind of selfish selfishly be promoting yourself and, and, and letting people know who you are as an, as an artist. Every time you get things done, have your same email list and blast it and say, this is something new that I've worked on to show people that you're working good, bad, doesn't make a difference. But as a creator, um, you, you are the only one who can tell the story that you can tell so prove it by shooting it, prove it by writing it in your own voice and prove it by producing it and distributing it. Um, it's, it's, it's at our fingertips. So I think that people really need to kind of be um, active more than anything. I think creators need to be active more than just saying, I have a great idea. Ideas can only go so far. You gotta give your voice. You got to give your voice. And then one job takes you to the next. One business card takes you to the next business card. It has been such a wonderful conversation with you, David. I'm going to turn the floor over to you. We're going to pull a hot ones and you can tell our listener um, any message that you want to give them. You can plug your social media, whatever you want to plug. Um, yeah, I'm going to turn the floor to you and you can tell your supporters what you want to say. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that during this really trying time that our country is going through, or the world is going through right now, that um, stay, stay open to education, stay open to acceptance of others. And, um, you know, my, my, my mentor here, Lee Kelton Smith, would always say for actors and characters, have the, have the um, uh, listen with the intent of understanding. And I think that's, that's very clear for humans too, real life people. Um, just open your ears and um, get as much information as you can and just be there for each other. Um, and, and also just lend an ear because sometimes that's all anybody wants and it's not the hardest thing to do. And uh, yeah. Keep following me at, at David Del Rio on, on Instagram. And uh, if you want to keep watching Baker and the Beauty, that's great. So, you know, uh, tell your friends, spread the word. You know, we'd love a second season. Yes, yes. <laughs> David, thank you so much for speaking with me. Man, I really appreciate it. I had such a great time. Thank you. A special thanks for David for being a guest on the show. I had an honor and an absolute pleasure speaking with him. He turned the interview more into a conversation, which is the mark of a great interview. It felt like we were just hanging out at a cafe, chatting and geeking out about the film industry and, and what it takes to be a creative in this business. It was a really insightful chat and I learned so much. He was so articulate and very engaged in his responses and I appreciated that. If you want to learn more about David, visit the links in the show notes. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, essentially wherever you find podcasts, we're there. Take it away, outro me. 
Pop Nerd Lounge is a two-man operation, rather I should say two-women operation. It is executive produced by Steph Pham and V. Co. V. Co. serves as the show's creative director, and Steph Pham is the show's host and editor. You can find us on social media at Popner Lounge. For an easy, convenient hub of everything Popner Lounge, visit our website, popnerlounge.com. That's it for this week. Tune in next time for another conversation with a fellow creative. I'm Steph Pham.